You're listening to the Celestial Citizen Podcast, and I'm your host, Britt Duffy Adkins. Celestial Citizen is a space media company with embedded urban planning values, looking to help shape a more equitable and just future for all of us in space. This podcast seeks to provide an opportunity for conversation about how to be a better interplanetary citizen and responsible steward of Earth and the cosmos. By engaging the global public, providing greater access to the space industry, and amplifying a more diverse set of voices, progress in space can equate to progress on Earth. We who are bursting with stardust can become celestial citizens. On today's episode, we celebrate the wrap of season two and reflect back on some of the highlights of past interviews and favorite moments on Celestial Citizen Podcast. We covered so many important topics related to space exploration and humanity's off-Earth future over the last four months. We discussed the overview effect with Frank White, who coined the term, as well as talked with many of our other guests about the importance of sharing this paradigm-shifting perspective with humanity. I have consistently said that I think experiencing the overview effect should be a human right. And people look at me like, what? A human right? Yeah. There's that connectiveness that can come from looking up, from dreaming, from wandering, but also realizing that we're all in it together. And I think until more of us can go to space, looking up can provide hope, wonder, or and a sense that we need to work together. We're not as separate as people might think. Looking at the planets in the sky, I love, especially with a telescope, they're resolved, they're whole, they have features, they've got stripes and moons and rings. And they're just so exciting and tangible and they feel like they're right there. Astrophysics is great. And, you know, you can talk about active galactic nuclei all day, but it's hard for me to connect to that on a visceral level. Like, cool, that's a quasar. But that's fun, but it's not like, wow, we just found a Jupiter that's 1,200 degrees. So much of our relationship to space exploration is from a human-centric perspective. But if we realize, just as one organism stepped out of the primordial goo, then many different species evolved from that, we move off planet, it's also changing the narrative and changing the story for many different plants and animals as well. At the end of the day, we still have to get up there. So while it is like, hey, in the near term, it just looks like the billionaires are going off on a rocket ride. It is going to benefit us all in the long term. At least what I try to convey with my work and what I think is so important to understand is that solving for space solves for Earth. You know, that's not my catchphrase or anything. That is something that people have said for years because it's true. Your cell phone, your calculators, your monitors may not have been directly derived and developed for space, but a lot of those have been enhanced because of the need to do and use those kinds of things in these extreme, remote, distributed environments. I would like for people to, at least once a day, try to imagine that they're living on a spaceship that this spaceship that we call Earth, this mothership, 
is moving through the universe and we are celestial citizens. We just don't have the experience or the awareness of it. We don't have to wait for all of us to go to space and have the overview effects that the astronauts have to recognize that we're all on Earth and that this is our home and our job is to protect it. We know that. We just need to get on it. We also discussed the importance of making sure disability rights and inclusive design are prioritized from the very beginning of any future space mission planning. We live in this world where it's built for able-bodied and able-minded folks. So when you talk about structural ableism, it's the designs of our cities and our buildings. It's quite literally and physically built into the system that we keep out disabled folks. We do try to find the same group as ours. So I wonder sometimes it's like, you know, I'm a wolf and they're all lions. I don't belong there. And it's crazy because you're talking about being a wolf. We've got to create other future visions that are not just related to the sci-fi movies we've seen, but ones that are born from this multiplicity of perspectives and skills. I'm sure that that future is going to look very different, but in, an, in a really powerful and exciting way. I've got to find a way to reach over to my white counterparts who think I'm a problem, have them not to see me as a problem, and moreover, have them to take up my issue as their issue. So if I'm not in a room, they will think, well, if Claire was here, she would say this, so I'm going to say it for her. There's an idea of that we're not going to get to Mars for another 15, 20 years, if so. Like the idea of building a, a colony out there, a lot of people just sort of think, well, why do we have to talk about these things now? Like once we get there, we can figure out what an equitable society is supposed to look like. Now's the time. There's no reason to wait. And waiting is just going to drag things out and make things worse because then we're never going to have these conversations. We bind up our ideals about the future of humankind and what we should do as a hundred or a thousand year project with words that are binding up so much of the worst of us. I think we really need to examine our language as a means to being more clear about our intentions. It's all about understanding and unlocking your perspective and your knowledge about where you are. And not necessarily because you want to give up on where you are today or because you want to move on. It's the reverse, in my opinion. The more you understand, the more you know how to help. And the more you know how to help, the more you can prevent things that are not going okay making sure that we ingratiate ourselves within those communities, especially now that companies are out there looking for talent. They're looking for new voices in STEM. They're looking for new diverse talents. And a lot of times they say, we don't know how to reach them. We don't know where they're at. We're here and we're everywhere, right? Just like many accounts of human evolution, the fellows out there doing stuff and the women just happen to tag along and be around at the same time. And it's very interesting to me that you see these narratives about space emerging at a time when women are excluded from space. So it's like, good luck with your colonising project there, buddy. You're not going to get very far <laughs> if women aren't included in this. If you go into a space and you kind of assimilate and you lessen yourself and you shrink yourself to kind of fit in, then you make it that much harder for the folks around you. Mm -hmm. Because then it's like, this model minority didn't have a problem, so why aren't you like them? I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, we all need to become one. Well, we're all different in many ways. I think unity, maybe that's unobtainium. Harmony is something that we can achieve. And I think harmony by way of 
using compassion and empathy and trying to recruit that from people. What can I do without sacrificing who I am as an individual and my values? What can I do to keep their hearts open? It just is a little bit crazy to me that such a frontier pushing industry is a little bit hesitant because of precedent. Invest in the next generation, making sure everybody sees themselves in the work that we do, that it is no longer, I say the word astronaut, and a specific individual comes to your mind, is that I say the word astronaut and you see your face in it. We've discussed the growing threat of orbital debris and what it means to be a space environmentalist. This is the most critical crisis on our planet right now is the development of more holistic egalitarianism that includes the environment and the social aspects of interaction. We need to move beyond the mindset and focus on supporting those things that are about creating better relationships with the resources, not just on this planet, but elsewhere as well. Even if we remove space settlement from the realm of possibility and say, okay, nobody's ever really going to build these cities for millions of people in space or on Mars. Somebody still has to figure out what to do with the climate here and engage with it intentionally. It's so, so, so cool that the galaxy is full of planets and the galaxy might be full of Earth-like planets that are habitable. Like that's bonkers off the charts, crazy cool. Does that mean we should change our behavior here on Earth? No. Earth is our home and we need to protect it. And I basically, again, was looking up at the night sky and I had the realization that the sky above me was filled with space junk. And effectively, this was an archaeological record. This was human material culture, which told us something about how humans engaged with space in the contemporary era. I think the relationship between the Earth and the Moon is going to grow a lot stronger. It's going to start to be viewed as our eighth continent. And I think that that is going to continue for the rest of human history. As we decide to keep on behaving the way we are without regard to environmental protection of near-Earth space, we're going to find that the technologies that we depend on on a daily basis, financial transactions, climate change, all these things, might suffer an anomaly to where now that system goes down and we don't have it anymore. What are the incredible opportunities of having so many people? You can build an entire forest if each person plants a tree in a matter of weeks. So if we start to use our power by numbers for good, you can start to see results really quickly. And that, to me, is our greatest superpower. You've got to get people on board. You've got to explain that space exploration benefits all of us. And I think the more science we start to see go up and the more positive things that we start to do in space, that will start to capture people's imagination more. But we need to stop pitting climate against space exploration because the vast majority of what we do in space is about Earth. I want to urge people, anyone listening today who considers themselves an environmentalist, to think of the solar system as the environment. Surely, by anyone's standard, two billion-year-old Shadows and lakes of ice are extraordinary. The only light they get is starshine. They've only been exposed to starlight for two billion years. And we want to go there and we want to set up mining equipment. We want to go and get that ice and we want to turn it into fuel and do all of these things to these ice craters. And I don't want them to be mined. That's the kind of choice that I think lies before 
our culture as we think about what we want to prioritize when we expand, go into, move into, settle in, live in outer space is what sort of worldview do we want to bring along and what sort of world practices do we want to bring along? If they're simply extractive, then they won't last forever. I'm sure that in thousands of years, we will work out a way to do things like this. I'm not saying that humanity is stuck here forever. I'm saying that the timescale that we have to stop the emergency that's happening right now is not the same as the timescale for developing the technology to move away from the solar system. We also had some critical conversations that included both an anti-colonial retrospective on the history of space exploration, a look at why the space industry seems to be getting increasingly polarized, and how we reset the future to realize a more sustainable and inclusive path forward. Just as this domino effect of colonization happened, we can do the reverse. We can have a domino effect of these ways of thinking and creating those systems within communities, even through like community planning, to become more equitable and sustainable, especially if we decentralize. Centralization seems to work against the more equitable and environmental consciousness that's necessary. And we do have a global declaration that's going to be shared, but we'll see how that goes. When we have this new, not a land rush, but a resource rush, I'm sure the same things that happened before, still again with those colonizing mindsets, you're going to have all kinds of disasters. One of the ideas I've shared with people is that a planet has no sides, but we divide ourselves into sides almost at the drop of a hat. We're a part of the universe. We're embedded in this universe. And there are so many mysteries and challenges that we don't need to be fighting each other. You know, we don't need to be trying to outdo and overthrow one another. There's plenty to conquer out there. From the outside looking in, it's easy to say, oh, we have all these billionaires. We're in the social media world now. Everybody's just trying to flex their muscles and go into outer space. And that's all that this is about. But there's such a much broader reasoning and importance behind it. And I think we've definitely failed to communicate that to the masses. Saying that Jeff Bezos shouldn't be a billionaire and has earned his money in ways that are kind of really awful for humanity can actually coexist with Blue Origin does a lot of good work in the space industry. Blue Origin provides a lot of financial resources to other nonprofits. People say that they have the stated goal to open up space to everybody. Well, then, yeah, let's do that, right? You know, those who are advocates for justice and equity in outer space can say, what are you doing to advance that actual cause that's on your corporate letterhead or on your mission statement? You know, that's a case where advocacy can also instrumentalize idealism. One thing that we can do to be better people is just to be kind and realize that we have more in common. We often feel divided politically. We feel divided on, on so many issues. We feel divided. But to look for that common ground, be kind to other people. You know, we teach kids to do it, but sometimes we forget it as adults. Give folks grace. Not everyone knows the same things you do. Not everyone's had the opportunity to have the same education or access to resources or the interactions that I get to, right? So I interact with disabled people every single day. So my knowledge is going to be a lot greater than someone who maybe doesn't have a ton of disabled folks in their sphere, right? Or doesn't have to think about it. We heard from space entrepreneurs and technologists, as well as space artists and activists, and many more. We talked about indigenous principles and how they could be applied to a more mindful and harmonious future of space exploration. 
Most of all, we discussed that space could and should be for everyone. It's one of humanity's oldest questions. Are we alone? And I don't know what I'm more frightened of in terms of the answers to that question. Is it more scary that we're alone in the universe? That there's nothing else that we could communicate with or learn from or talk to or create with? Or is it more frightening that there is other stuff out there that we could (laughs) communicate with and create with? I genuinely don't know what's more frightening, but I know I want to know the answer. I feel like it's really important to remind ourselves of the human element. By extension, we are there. We're exploring and it's scary and weird and new and exciting. And with opportunity, it's lonely and it's sad and it's anthropomorphizing robots millions of miles away. It's fun for me to try to find the humanity in it and work myself up and make it melodramatic. It was the same thing before the internet. People couldn't imagine that the internet would be worth anything or a big deal because it was just an economy that didn't exist yet because the groundwork, the railroad tracks hadn't been laid. And once it was there, only then did people see the explosive growth. And by then, most of the people that were skeptics missed out. The physics behind it is just astounding. It's just incredible. You can take something as rudimentary as radiant energy and use it to convert water and weaponize it against malignant cells. I just think it's beautiful. It's a song about being a tiny speck in the universe. And there it is. My tiny speck in the universe going out into space, sending it on its own journey and kind of giving it that moment to be not eloquent at all about it. It's just really freaking cool. Space is the ultimate platform for understanding where we're coming from, but also what we could be, and even more so how globally interconnected we are for better or for worse, and how that can really help elevate and build a sense of responsibility for our home planet. And to be able to now have an understanding of the technologies that we need to put in place to be able to help everybody in different aspects of the world and understanding the fundamental problems that are going on all across the globe, that cultural importance and that cultural understanding is so important. And that only comes from having togetherness and this understanding of this community and this whole world that we're embracing and having that more interconnected perspective of us as global citizens in general. You'll start to see these cultures start to develop on Mars or on the moon, and there's going to be art that's being made in these environments. There's going to be culture. There's going to be gossip. There's going to be everything that's connected to humanity now being born in this other place. What does humanity have to offer? We have to offer our art. We have to offer music, and that's our voice, our personality. And aside from that and what that kind of represents ideologically, Very literally, music is super necessary, I think, for long-term human survival off Earth. Sci-fi does an incredible thing because it gives us something to look forward to, and it gives us this vision of what we could be. But imagine if we had more people working in that context of future building. And that's where I see more and more artists getting involved, because once you can visualize what a future would look like, then it's very easy to build up to that future. But if you don't have that vision for it, it's impossible to manifest it and to actually work towards it. The dream the early astronauts had, which was, wow, I can't explain this. I wish a poet would go. I wish and artists would go, that's going to happen. And so the mentors, the role models, the teams, the big brothers, the resources, the access, all of these things I think are critical to create this well-rounded community, the ecosystem, the village, if you will, 
that can allow kids who are not necessarily exposed to that either at school or at home. We see sports figures, we see musical figures, but we don't have a lot of technological and science and tech role models they are aware of. We're out here, they just don't know us. I think what utopia and dystopia are most useful for is to say, why do we want more of the same in the first place? Why do we need to reproduce a second Earth if we recreate all of the things that we don't want or don't need here? That's what thinking about living in outer space is useful to me for. You don't have to go to space to appreciate that you're part of Earth or that there's one Earth. You just need to realize that everybody around you is connected to you in a way, and it is up to you to slow down the world and listen to them and make them part of your life and learn from them. So I think that that makes you a better person and that makes us all a better community. We belong to the cosmos. It does not belong to us. We're caretakers for the time that we're alive. And we should caretake in such a way as to leave something good for generations that will come after us. That is what, to me, being a celestial citizen is. We also had some special bonus episodes this season that allowed us to help spread the word about some celestial causes we hold near and dear, as well as provided our community of Expanse lovers with some insider perspectives from one of the show's writers. At least in my experience, Astro Access is the first time where there's been kind of a collective voice and a collective guidance to the industry about, you know, these are some practices and some ways you can do things and ways you can be more accessible and accepting to different kinds of abilities and different way people interact with the world. We don't have to speak notionally or aspirationally or inspirationally about this stuff. We've seen the results of inclusive design and universal design helping every single performance indicator from nonprofit to for-profit here on Earth. What we haven't seen here on Earth is a systemic adoption of those inclusive principles the way that we want to do it in space because we've got that canvas to build on because we didn't do it 100 years ago, for example, with air travel here. I think it's easy for a lot of people, particularly in academia, to kind of have this attitude as though they're above racism and they're above marginalization or any forms of discrimination and that they're only focused on the science and getting the absolute best, this, that, or whatever. And academia is kind of inherently classist and elitist by nature. It's like space is happening and space is creating the future. So if we give to the organizations that have missions that we believe in, then we're doing our part to literally craft the future of humanity. Each character is not completely good, not completely bad. There's no like mustache villain in any of our seasons, there are people that do evil things with good intentions. And there are people that have good intentions, but end up not being able to accomplish their goals, or they end up going down a bad path. Even as far as technology advances, as far as for humanity, when we travel into space in the future, and a lot of those problems that we've had for hundreds of years are still going to be there with us. So whether it's kind of classism, racism, those kinds of issues, those are still going to be problems that we're going to have to deal with, whether we end up on Mars in a few decades or whether we end up out in the belt. We also continue to get to know our guests even better through our lightning round questions that never failed to entertain. So now we are on to our lightning round of quick questions. 
So you can feel free to give a brief explanation or you can give no explanation at all and just leave us wondering. Are you ready? Yes. I'm ready. Yes, I am. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm usually a slow thinker, so I'll try. I am ready. I guess so. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Oh, as I'll ever be. Let's do it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm a bit frightened. Let's do it. <laughs> Booyah. Would you rather live on the moon or Mars? The moon. Mars. Mars. Moon, a thousand percent. The moon. Moon. Closer to Earth. The moon. The moon. The moon. Mars. <laughs> Nowhere. Your favorite space hobby would be what? Making art out of lunar dust. Growing things. Growing herbs in my rock garden. It would be gardening, actually. Uh, golf. Meditating while looking at the earth from the moon's surface. Rock climbing. Basketball. I'm trying to dunk all day. <laughs> well, if there are lunar caves, probably spelunking. Bunny hopping around. Mm, jumping around. Bunny hopping. Jumping up and down really high. <laughs> Blue Origin or SpaceX? Blue Origin. Well, SpaceX is the only one with a medical program right now, so SpaceX. SpaceX, because they've actually gone into space, like real space. Star Wars or Star Trek? Both, but canonical Star Wars. Star Trek. Star Wars. Star Trek. Oh, right now, Trek. Star Wars. I would definitely go Star Trek over Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Once I was eight and saw the first movies, I was hooked. Star Wars. There's so much to be learned there, and the hero's journey is remarkable. Baby Yoda or Old Yoda? Old Yoda. Baby Yoda. Old Yoda. I'm into Old Yoda. Old Yoda. Can I at least have a conversation with him? The Martian or Interstellar? Interstellar. Martian. The Martian. The Martian. I feel like because I'm a Caltech employee, I'm contractually obligated to say Interstellar, but I'm still going to say the Martian. <laughs> I think the Martian. Martian. Interstellar got way too weird. It got out of control to a point where like, you had to watch it like three or four times to understand what's going on. Actually, I would say Interstellar. The Martian. And do you watch The Expanse? Who's your favorite character on The Expanse? Amos. I'd say Dawes. The Belters, because I sympathize with Freedom Riders. The solar system itself. I think the system is kind of a character in a, in a way, and it's kind of like, what are you guys doing throwing rocks at each other when there is just this expanse? It's mostly empty space. All right, what's your favorite space TV show or movie? I really like the movie Moon. Star Trek, The Next Generation. The first thing that comes to mind is Stargate. Star Trek. That's easy. Galaxy Quest. I've got to give it to Star Trek, of course. My OG favorite BFF space show is the modern Battlestar Galactica, not the old Battlestar Galactica. I'd say at the moment, it would be For All Mankind. Interstellar is my favorite movie. And also controversially, Ad Astra. Oh, that is controversial. I know. Actually, on the moon, I run a show, and it's live from Lunarville, and it's beamed down to Earth. All right, worst space movie ever. I won't go worst, but I will say the most culturally overrated has to be 2001. Core. Teenage me is going to be really devastated if I say Armageddon, so I feel like I shouldn't, but I think it's Armageddon. I don't know if I'm going to call it the worst space movie ever. It was a film that disappointed me, though. It's Gravity. A lot of people liked Gravity. I just wasn't really a big fan of it. I wouldn't say it was the worst space movie. I don't know if there's one called Mission to Mars. It's got to be like Mission to Mars or something like that. Do you remember the movie Life a few years ago? It's like Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yes. 
Oh, gosh. I don't even think I finished that one. Yeah, that was really bad. Oh, I didn't like that one with Brad Pitt in it. Oh, what was the one that that came out with Brad Pitt just a few years ago? Ad Astra. Ad Astra. It's just awful. Oh, I'm going to go really controversial. Are you ready for this? Any of the Star Trek movies. Something most people don't know about you. I play the violin. I like to play the conga drums. I kayak. In general, I am a long distance runner. I started marathon running in high school. I used to be a DJ. I like to cook. I'm a big sweet tooth. I'm a diehard Cinnabon lover. (laughs) I'm trying to shoot my shot whenever I can for a Cinnabon sponsorship. I very much love Sound of Bagpipes. That I really love freestyle rap. That I do weightlifting (laughs) as a hobby. That I'm scared of fish. Most space people don't know that I have a pet epaulette shark. Advice you would give to aspiring space entrepreneurs. Persist! Have a big vision, but then find the place where there's value that you can provide right away. Keep going. We need you. And reach out. You know, if you need support, support is out there. Whether or not it seems a bit invisible or non-present, like, hopefully by the time you get to the point where you need us, we'll be more visible, but look for us. We're there. And the thing you're most looking forward to in 2022? New opportunities and new adventures. I don't know. Like not having a stupid pandemic. Being able to return to live events. Sending our rover to the moon. I think a road trip. I need a road trip. Maybe Starship. I think they'll do a Starship orbital in 2022, I'll bet. Traveling again. Going to actual observatories again. Enabling more capabilities, helping more diversity, equity, and inclusion. Helping underserved folk get exposed and access to the kind of tools that they need to learn to thrive in the 21st century. I need to explore where I've always dreamed of, which is the rainforest. Refining myself as a better human, so better spouse, better father, better friend, better sibling, better brother, that sort of stuff. Moving to America. Moon launch! Okay, permanently grounded on Earth or a one-way trip to Mars? Permanently grounded on Earth. Permanently grounded on Earth. Ooh, I was involved with Mars One and I withdrew because it was a one-way trip. Ooh, both? Yeah, I want to be permanently grounded until it is time for me to go one-way trip. I thought about this already, but I have a family. I'm married. Mm -hmm. I have five children, 10 grandchildren. I'm going to have to eschew. That's a word I've almost never used. I have to pass up the one-way trip to Mars. Oh, I'm staying on Earth. Permanently grounded on Earth. I'm, I'm a little too old for that exploration now. Am I by myself on this one-way <laughs> trip? Am I sharing this with anybody? Right? That would be the most boring expedition ever. So I'd rather yeah. be here on Earth. One-way trip. It's a whole adventure. You don't yeah. even know what could happen. Yeah. One-way trip to Mars when I'm much older. Mm. To live out my last, like, maybe 10 years. Staying right here, thank you very much. To go to Mars <laughs> is just to die a horrible death, probably within hours of landing. One-way trip to Mars, yeah, for sure. Oh. Yeah, let's all get out of here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, we've done enough years here. Let's go see something new now. Somewhere other than the moon or Mars that you'd like to explore if you could? Mmm, Jupiter. There's so many places on Earth that I haven't gone to or would like to see. Europa. 
A place that I could actually land on? I would say probably uh, Europa. An event horizon. Uh, preferably without being ripped to shreds, but I think I would be happy because it would probably not last that long or it could last forever depending on the science. And let's say that you have the opportunity to go back in time and change one major event that occurred in the history of the space industry. What's the event and what do you change? Oh, well, does this count as an event? Because I'd really kind of like it if Yuri Gagarin had not died in a plane crash. In 1968. I would I would kind of like that. I would change this shuttle crash. I might have to like email you back because <laughs> that feels like an important <laughs> question. Maybe Proxmire's budget cuts in the 80s. Imagine if 9-11 never happened. I would say nuclear bombs. I think that that just set us on a whole Lemony Snicket's unfortunate series of events. I would say that I would wish that Mercury 7 astronauts would not be all white men and that we would see some women and people of color there. Well, surely for me, it would be any of the big disasters, so like Challenger, Columbia, Apollo 1, um, you'd want to see that not happen. And then it would have been nice if we'd have kept going to the moon. Okay, so let's say you get the opportunity to live off Earth temporarily. Would you rather live underground on the surface or in an orbiting space station? On the surface, I would love to see the sunrise from a different surface regularly. I want to live on the surface of Venus. Ambitious. I think probably in a lava tube. On the surface. I would like to live off Earth on another planet with the option to return. I think I might stay in an orbiting space station. I think that might be the best of both worlds and talking about like not quite as dangerous. And then you get a really cool view of the planet. I would choose the orbiting space station. Oh, in orbit, for sure. Hopefully one that spins. I don't lose too much, you know, calcium in my bones. <laughs> Ooh, orbiting space station. I probably would, would want to live on the surface and visit the orbiting space station. Yeah, that's like multiple choice. Clearly the wrong answer for me is on orbit. Like this idea of feeling that I'm always in this state of free fall, that sucks a lot. It's got to be on the surface, I'd say. Yeah. Imagine waking up, like looking out in your backyard and the extraterrestrial landscape right there with uh, a nice extraterrestrial garden. It's probably the most dangerous option, but on the ground. <laughs> I love exploring the caves. So maybe making trips to the caverns, but living on the surface so you can see that horizon line and see the shifts in the sunsets, sunrises, that's got to be really spectacular. I'd rather be on the surface, I think, because it'd be fun on the space station, but you'd still get to travel through space, perhaps experience weightlessness on the journey to this other world. Then you can explore. And let's say you're sent on a long duration mission. What's more important? Choosing your crew, choosing the food, or choosing the destination? Choosing the crew. I always say the crew, for sure. Well, choosing your crew, choosing your food, and then choosing your destination. <laughs> your crew, hands down. The crew. I think the crew. I would say destination. The crew. The crew. Oh, it have to be the crew. You don't want to be stuck with somebody that's going to make you miserable the entire trip. Choosing the crew. I would say the destination. Choosing the crew. The crew transforms the entire experience. People are more important than anything else. So if you're going to a wonderful destination with wonderful food, but the crew don't gel, you don't get on it, it's not going to work. Crew is the number one thing, because then if you've got a good crew, you can resolve all the other issues. I'm going to go food, because if you have good food, it will automatically make relationships with the rest of the crew better. 
choosing the crew for sure. I've talked with enough astronauts these days that like if you don't have people you get along with, it, you may as well just not go. In 50 years, we'll all be what? Hopefully more enlightened, more knowledgeable. Living in a world that's possibly five degrees hotter than it was right now. In 50 years, we'll all be better off because we will have adopted a smart futures framework. Well, hopefully some of us will be still alive. <laughs> we'll all be old. We'll all be old. <laughs> we'll all be living in a holistic egalitarian system, decentralized communities, both on Earth and in space and other planets, other solar systems, living more harmonious and equitable lives. If I'm being optimistic, in 50 years, we'll all be much more knowledgeable about the universe. Space people. Older. <laughs> <laughs> Able to travel to the moon if we want to, and we'll be able to do it at a reasonably affordable price. Honeymooning on the moon? I hope we'll all be friendlier. Some form of AI. Wishing we had acted sooner, but on the track toward amending our mistakes and providing a brighter future. Sustainable. Happy, hopefully. Living in a world beyond the imagination, beyond anything we can imagine now, stranger than anything we can imagine now. Three, two, one. We have liftoff. Season two proved to be so much more than I could have ever imagined. And I'm incredibly grateful to our amazing guests this season for coming on the show and sharing their insights and perspectives. I also want to give a big shout out and thank you to our wonderful and growing community of celestial citizens that tune in week after week to this podcast and have been an amazing and engaging group of listeners. Your loyalty, curiosity, and passion for space is such a motivating force behind all the work that we do at Celestial Citizen Podcast. And lastly, thank you to Victor Figueroa, this show's editor, for always working tirelessly to make sure that Celestial Citizen Podcast is on the top of its game week after week. Thank you also to Graham Clark, who created the amazing music for this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Celestial Citizen, and I hope you are, then check out celestialcitizen.com. You can also follow along on Twitter at Celestial Citizen and Instagram at The Celestial Citizen. And be sure to sign up for the Celestial Citizen newsletter on Substack. You can find the link to all of these on our website. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Celestial Citizen, consider making a donation on our website 
or you can always reach out to learn more about opportunities to sponsor this podcast. If you've loved season two of Celestial Citizen Podcast, please have your friends and family subscribe on whatever device or platform you listen to podcasts on and leave a stellar review so others can get hooked as well. That's all for now, Celestial Citizens. I'll be back in 2022 with a brand new season of Celestial Citizen Podcast. In the meantime, don't be afraid to take up space. Thank you.